We've gathered here to worship God and to pay our respects to the memory and legacy of Jay Hawkins. On behalf of the family, I'd like to thank you very much for coming this afternoon and for the love you've shown to them the past few days and for your presence here today. With those thoughts in mind, let us pray together. Well, God, you have called us to yourself. You have created each of us, and we come now into your presence asking that you would meet with us, that as we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. We ask you to use uh, your scripture and prayers together and our singing, your praise to comfort one another, to give us the proper perspective about life and death, especially to bless and comfort this family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At the request of the family, we want to sing a, a couple of, of hymns today. The first one will be number 358, 358 for all the saints. And we're only going to sing stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 6. 1, 2, 5, and 6. Let's stand and sing together 358. Gates of her. 
Jason Hawkins is going to come and say a few words about his dad. Jason? When I think of my dad, I think of a man with integrity, intelligence, and a love for his family. I'll start with integrity. My dad what he thought, did what he thought was right, whether it benefited him or not. He once gave me the opportunity to sell a car for him for a commission. I met with a potential buyer, had a deal worked out with an agreed-upon price. I was excited to relay the information to my dad and receive final instructions regarding how to complete the transaction. After I explained the good news to him, he asked if I had told the buyer about the wreck. I said, you mean the dent in the door that was repaired to perfection? He said, yes. I pleaded and said that dent did not have any structural effect to the car, did not affect the door opening and closing in any way. In the end, I called the buyer, told him about the prior damage, and he took $500 off his offer. <laughs> I was disappointed, but my dad comforted me and discussed it with me until I also understood the importance of integrity. Secondly, I was always impressed by my dad's intelligence. He knew countless facts regarding sailing, knot tying, cloud formations, physics, just to name a few. And remember, he was a lawyer. <laughs> I would often ask how he knew facts that I could only Google, and he would reply something like elementary school, high school, or some other distant learning experience. My dad cared for his family. He stood as a rock and a sounding board for me, as well as other family members. My dad showed his love for me by taking me on every hunting, fishing, or outdoor adventure possible. We went quail hunting, duck hunting, dove hunting, turkey hunting, fishing, water skiing, tubing, sailing, and the list goes on. My dad never left me behind. I now want to take a minute to picture my dad in heaven. I picture my dad on a large, majestic sailboat in the open ocean with sails full of wind, no luck. Rudder in one hand, no shirt, sunglasses, beverage of choice in the other hand. <laughs> the constant beautiful sound of the sailboat cutting through the waves can be heard in the otherwise silent environment. The sailboat is heading towards a piece of land that has only a spot in the distance. When the sailboat is about 50 yards from the land, he turns into the wind, walks to the front of the boat, dives in, and swims to shore. No anchor, no need to anchor since everybody knows that boats don't need to be anchored in heaven. Dad, thank you for being a great father and having a positive impact on this world. I love you. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jason.
I'm going to tell you some more things Jason uh, told me in, in a few minutes, but I, I want to read, before the choir sings, I want to read three uh, well-known selections from the Old Testament. First, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And probably the best-known psalm, even by those who never opened the Bible, best-known psalm around the world is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
two selections from the New Testament, both from the Gospel of John. First, the opening verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then John chapter 14, the opening verses. Jesus is with his disciples. This is the night he would later be arrested and crucified the next day. We call this the upper room discourse because they were in an upper room where they had had the Passover meal together. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So ends the reading of God's holy word. It's been my honor to be the pastor to the Hawkins family for more than 25 years. Jay was not only a church member and a very faithful choir member, uh, he was also a friend. Most of you know, but I'll just reiterate some of what you read, if you read the obituary, that Jay grew up here in Macon. He attended Darlington, then UGA. He met Kathy at, at Georgia, and they married right after uh, she finished nursing school and he had finished law school. They moved immediately to New York City for him to work on an additional tax law degree at NYU. Then they returned here to Macon and he began to practice law up until a forced early retirement about 12 years ago due to some heart trouble. They came to this church in 1990 and Jay loved to sing. He was a choir member for many, many years. When not singing in the choir, he and Kathy sat right back there. <laughs> it throws me off when people move around in this room. I... <laughs> Jay loved Lake Sinclair. He grew up spending his summers there where his grandfather taught him to, to fish and hunt. He was an excellent water skier. As Jason mentioned, he, he loved the outdoors, especially to spend time over on the Flint River on the property he had there. He would take the two boys there when they were young and continued to take Jason after Benjamin's tragic death back 16 years ago. 
Jason referenced a couple of country songs which describe Jay. You won't find these in the hymnal, but one was George Strait's. Let me tell you a secret about a father's love. If you, if you, if you haven't grasped life yet and you don't know country music, the story in the song is that a boy gets in trouble at school and he, he comes home and he's prepared to face the wrath of his father. He's expecting the worst. And yet, what does he hear? And here's the song. And he said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love. A secret that my daddy said was just between us. He said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. Or Confederate Railroads, Daddy Never Was the Cadillac Kind. My new favorite song, Jason, since you've told me this. <laughs> Daddy Never Was the Cadillac Kind, so went the first stanza and the chorus, really. He said, some things just glitter and shine. He taught us that love was the one thing money couldn't buy. Daddy Never Was the Cadillac Kind. In case you don't know, Jay had a claim to fame that he was the first person in middle Georgia to drive a pickup truck before it was cool to do so. <laughs> Jay's first back surgery was at age 40. Between his back and his heart over the years, it, it was just one setback over another. And it rendered him unable to do the things that he loved. Never met any person probably that was more courageous and valiant and tried hard, but the years of pain and setback took their toll. What happens after death? Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven reminds us that, quote, the sense that we will live forever somewhere has shaped every civilization in human history, end of quote. Australian aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island. Mexicans and Peruvians and Polynesians, they believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. And in the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. And all those, although these depictions of life after death differ, they reveal something that the Bible says, that we as humans have, quote, eternity in our hearts. Early Christians emphasized the afterlife, the Roman catacombs where the bodies of many martyred Christians were buried. Some of those tombs contained inscriptions such as, was written on one in Christ, Alexander is not dead but lives. Another said, this is one who lives with God. And another said, he was taken up to his eternal home. So how do the scriptures, how does the Bible view the death of a believer? What does a spiritual Christian perspective look like? In Psalm 116, the psalmist says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. What is it about the death of a Christian that makes it precious to God? Well, there are three graphic pictures in the New Testament about the death of a believer. The first is that death for a Christian is going to sleep. When Paul wrote to the Christians in Thessalonica, they were asking the question that some of us may ask, and that is, what happens to our loved ones in Christ who were followers of Christ who died? What happens to them? Will we see them again? 
And to give them some instruction, the Apostle Paul wrote, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So he's using death and calls it falling asleep. Where did that idea come from? Well, it came from Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is met by a very desperate man. This man's daughter is so sick as to be near death. And he comes to Jesus and he begs him to go with him. He has heard that this man has the capacity to heal people. And as they near the house, they find that the daughter has already died. But when Jesus arrives at the house, he enters and he says to those people who are there mourning, he says, what is all this commotion? She is not dead. She is asleep. What did Jesus mean by this? You see, the way we perceive death, for most of us, death is permanent. But sleep is temporary. Death is the end of life. But sleep is the continuation of life. The second picture in the Bible about death for a believer is going on a journey. The Apostle Paul, as he pondered whether he was going to be executed or not, in the book of Philippians, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. The word he uses for departure there is fascinating. It's the idea of having a tent and taking it down and packing it up and going to another place. It's the same word that was used for a ship that would have been tied up and then the ropes are loosened. The anchor is weighed, and the ship puts out to sea and heads for a distant shore. When a Christian dies, he or she departs this life and is immediately ushered into the very presence of Christ, according to the Bible. The third picture of death for a Christian is going home. And that's what we have in John chapter 14, what I just read to you. Jesus' disciples are very gloomy. They are very sad because it now has become clear to them that Jesus is going to leave. And he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. And so he comforts them with this promise that he's going on ahead to prepare a place for them. And he's saying this life is not all that there is. I will make room for you, he says. And the separation will only be temporary. It will not be permanent. And he will return and meet them, he says, so that they can be there too. Well, what is this place? If we read in the Bible, it's, the Bible calls it heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for all who trust in him, in Christ. It is a place where God will be present with all of his goodness, a place of eternal joy and peace. Typically, heaven is spoken of in what will not be there. There will be no mourning. There will be no crying there'll be no weeping there will be no pain there will be no death there are no funerals in heaven thomas one of the disciples in hearing this asked the question in verse 5 a question you and i would probably think of well how do we know how to get there and jesus responds to him i speaking of himself i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me he doesn't say, just try as hard as you can, hope for the best. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the promise of heaven is that Christ will not let us down. May he be the basis of our hope. 
with the family's permission. Ever since getting the news of Jay's death on Thursday, the verse that came to my mind immediately, and I have, it's been in my mind ever since, is Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I guess it's natural in any situation like this to think, could I have made a difference? As a friend, a phone call, an invitation to lunch, a visit. I find as a pastor, and there are many other pastors here today, there are many churches represented from Macon and elsewhere, when a person becomes ill and goes in the hospital, or is in some kind of uh, accident and they go in the hospital, it immediately brings a lot of attention, rightful attention. And, and I can tell you as a, as a pastor and as a church, probably like your church, we try and show love and concern for the person immediately. But when a person is living with a chronic condition that lasts months and years, it's easy not to get that kind of a... You begin to forget. Not that Jay did. I don't think he did. Uh, I, I think Jay was surrounded by friends and family that loved him. But I grew up in a time when the subject of suicide was taboo. It was never addressed. I'm from the South. Perhaps you are. And it wasn't addressed at home. It wasn't addressed at school, and it certainly wasn't addressed in the church. And maybe in reality that just compounded the problem. If you don't talk about it, it'll go away. And yet today it's one of the top ten causes of death in the U.S. And so if, if someone, what I want to say to you, is that if someone with as much character and with as much integrity and as much self-discipline uh, and love for his family as Jay Hawkins could be overcome by something, you better believe the rest of us could. And so take it from this pastor many of you don't know to remember the words from Hebrews 3 and let us encourage one another day after day as long as it is still today. My friends, if you don't know Christ, understand the Bible says all of us have sinned. There's none righteous, not one. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life, a life that begins not at the grave, but at the new birth, and it reaches its culmination in glory with the Savior. The greatest experience of every Christian is yet in front of us. And if you believe that, if you have trust in that, if you trust in Christ as your Savior, you will see Jay Hawkins again. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You are our created, just as, creator just as you created everything that is. And we come as sheep in your pasture. You as our great shepherd. We thank you for the life and legacy of Jay Hawkins. For his love and service to his family, to this church, to this community. We thank you for the many friendships that are represented here. We thank you for the marriage of almost 42 years that he and Kathy shared. We thank you for his love of the outdoors, which you made. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you said would be our comforter. And we ask for your comfort, especially for this family that we love so much. We pray that they would be strengthened with a supernatural sense of your presence and power. We ask that they would be comforted with, 
with minds flooded with positive memories of Jay and his wit and his laughter and his appreciation of simple things. We pray that you would enable them to cast their burdens upon you and then to experience that peace that you promise that is beyond comprehension. You have placed eternity in our hearts. We thank you for the promise that one day we will be reunited with those in Christ who've gone before us when there will be no more pain and illness and sickness. May we all be prepared to meet you only through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one more song, well-known hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Please stand, and we'll sing number 32. Number 32.
before I pronounce a closing benediction, the family is going to, to remain to greet those of you that would like to speak to them, but they're not going to remain in here with a crowd this size. We're going to the fellowship hall. They will be there, which is through either door behind me, beside the choir loft. You go up the steps and to the left, and there's a very large room where they will be. And Kathy also asked me to tell you or ask you that while you're waiting to speak to them, please tell one another Jayhawk stories. <laughs> now to him who is able to keep you from falling, and that all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.